here though. We're starting a new series this week. It's called Co-Mission. As Ken said, you know, uh, Jesus calls us into mission with him, to join him in his mission to reach all of the world. And this started just before he left the earth. You guys know the story of Jesus. He came to earth as a baby. The Holy Spirit placed him in Mary's womb. And so when he was born, he was 100% God, 100% man. He had dual status, right? Jesus grew up not sinning, but feeling the effects of sin as those around him struggled with sin and its effects. And he watched that. He felt it. And then Jesus began his ministry and he interacted with people, healing them uh, and, and, and loving on them and forgiving their sins and doing what only God could do. And so the religious leaders uh, did not, they thought he was um, a false Messiah. And so they brought him up on charges and ultimately had him killed. Jesus went to the cross, suffered and died. And as he died, he said something very important. As Jesus breathed his last breath on the cross, he said this phrase, it is finished. The reason he said it's finished is because the work that he was sent to earth to accomplish, the mission that God sent him to earth to accomplish was to die on a cross to pay for the sins of the world. And Jesus accomplished that mission. Three days after he was buried, Jesus rose from the dead. He appeared to his disciples. He appeared to over 500 followers at once. He commissioned them to go out and continue this mission to reach the world. In Acts Chapter 1, if you have your Bible, you want to turn to Acts, where we're going to be today. Over the next four weeks, we're going to look at the movement of Jesus after he left earth and commissioned his disciples to spread the gospel. And they did. The book of Acts accounts for us this story of the church growing and spreading, starting in Jerusalem and spreading to the known world. And so we're going to look at that over the next few weeks. Our title today is this, Commission. We are on mission to reach our Jerusalem. That's where the church started, in Jerusalem. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Read along with me if you would. This is what it says. This is Jesus speaking. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. People over the history of the church have taken these four arenas that Jesus spoke to. He said to his disciples, you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to tell people about me in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And many have taken these four uh, areas and said, listen, we live in America. Or Christians that live in India or China or different parts of the earth are not going to reach Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, right? That was to a certain group of, of believers at a certain time in history. But they've said, listen, we can take those arenas. They represent areas in which we need to address as the church today. And so they've taken the Jerusalem and said, Jerusalem represents our city or our region. For us, it's a group of towns. We're close enough in proximity to reach people. We all live in those different towns. And so we can reach this region. That's our Jerusalem. And then they've said, uh, you know, uh, Judea, that represents your state. So for most of us, state of Nebraska. However, for our church, it might be really western Nebraska, you know, um, eastern Wyoming and southern South Dakota, right? Might be that group, that area might represent our region that we're to reach. And then you got Samaria, and Samaria really is representative of our country. 
So we have, we're, we're citizens of the United States. We're to reach our country. And then, of course, the uttermost parts of the earth. And so over the next four weeks, we're going to look at how God is calling us to reach these four arenas. As a church, we support a number of missionaries. Many of them have been raised up out of our church. And so we support these missionaries. They have, some of them serve locally. Some of them serve regionally. Some of them serve in our country. And others have gone to the ends of the earth. And so uh, it's very exciting. Over the next four weeks, I want to introduce you to as many of our missionaries as I can. Uh, I've invited them to come here. James Adams uh, comes to this church. Um, he and his wife, Jesse, have become our um, missions coordinators, and they've worked to get our missionaries here. They invited them to come this month, and as I said, many of them will be here. Today, we have four of our missionaries here, and I'm going to introduce you to them. They're going to share a little bit about their ministry and what God's called them to do, what they're doing to accomplish this mission that Jesus sent his church on. What's important for us to know is that we are to support them. We're to be connected to them, right? And fueling what they're doing, lifting them up in prayer and support financially and, uh, and with prayer, and then uh, making sure that they have the resources they need to do the work God's called them to. And so first of all, today I'm going to have Chris Kinnis come up. Um, he and his wife run a ministry called Deuce Outfitters Ministry, and it is an outfitting ministry that's geared or targeted at ministering to veterans or to those in armed services. And I can tell you that before I came here for a couple years, this was heavy on my heart. As I lived in Colorado and I saw what was going on with our military, I'd hear reports, the numbers of suicide and the, and the depression, discouragement. I know that the military is not the most sort of spiritual, godly environment, right? So there's a lot of bad habits that are developed there. There's a lot of stuff reinforced that drags people down. And I thought we need to do something. The Church of Jesus needs to be doing something to minister to our veterans and to our military personnel. And then I came here, I met Chris. I was like, praise God. Like our church is supporting somebody that's doing it. So Chris, share with us what God has you doing right now. So my name's Chris Kness and my wife, Ms. Jay, she couldn't be here for this service. But so we uh, operate Do South Fitters Ministry. We're a 501c3 and uh, we work strictly with military personnel, whether that's medically retired, putting in their 20 years, and a lot of them are still active. We work a lot with the special operations community. And what we're finding in, in, in the numbers that we're looking at that we're dealing with are 30 veterans a day are committing suicide because of the baggage that they're carrying, because the treatments that they're not receiving from the VA. Um, the VA wants to treat symptoms and not the issues. Uh, but also the other side of that is, is we're losing anywhere from four to eight active duty military personnel a day to suicide. So we're jumping that number up to 40 a day that we're losing out of our military community. And it's because they, they have no sense of hope. Um, they have no sense of purpose, no sense of mission, no sense of tribe and belonging to something. Um, our military right now, our country, has been at war for two decades. And which means that our special forces guys, they've been spinning up at least five missions a week. So when you do that for, if you've made a career out of it, 20 years, that's a lot of missions, that's a lot of baggage that you're carrying. Um, so with that being said, they, they finish up their military career, that's all they know is chasing the bad guy. So the biggest majority of them go into being private contractors for the DOD. So they spend another 
10 to 15 years doing that, chasing the bad guy. So you figure they got anywhere from 30 to 35 years in the blood, the mud, the guts, and all that emotional baggage that they carry, the mental scars that they're carrying, that they've had to keep suppressed. And so a lot of these guys are dealing with guilt for having to do things that they didn't necessarily agree with, that they didn't want to do, but due to, due to their commitment to our country, their commitment to the military, they did it. Or they were asked to stand down. They were asked not to do something, that, and they could have made a difference. So we bring these men in, Jay and I, and we use hunting and fishing as a platform to, spare the, to share the message of the gospel and the message of salvation with them. We provide all their meals for them. Um, and we just bring them in and make them feel like they have a family and like somebody cares about them. And so as the ministry grows, of course, the needs grow as well. We've been doing this for five years. We've added more organizations that we work with. So as that grows, we're seeing more and more people and we're dealing, we're, we're able to reach out to more and more people. So, uh, you know, it's whatever God places on your heart. I mean, in, in what we deal with, you've got to have, for it to fit, you have to have two loves, a love for God and a love for our military. And you've got to have a compassion for them because quite honestly, it's because of them that we're sitting here gathering today freely. and We have this option. So uh, if you have any questions, I'd love to visit with you after the service. We'll be right outside the, the, the doors. Thank you, Chris. It's uh, powerful stuff, and uh, so thankful that God raised Chris up. You should talk to him, uh, hear his story, how God called him into this ministry and, and the road that he's been on. But I'm telling you, there's some big uh, organizations in the military world that are starting to get behind what he's doing um, because they're seeing the effectiveness of it. See, uh, our military, really anybody that's struggling, a piece that gets taken out a lot of times or isn't put in is Jesus. <laughs> and really, health and healing and recovery come through Jesus alone. And so it's powerful that he's doing that. Hey, um, there's another ministry I want to introduce you to. Uh, it's, it's called uh, Maranatha Bible Camp. And Maranatha Bible Camp is in, uh, just outside of North Platte. Um, Maranatha is a camp that the Berean Fellowship has been connected to for many years and participated in the work of that camp. We have folks here who have gone down there and helped to build buildings and, and, uh, and erect just a beautiful campus down there. And so um, we've sent students down there for years. We've been involved with them. They have a number of things they're doing. But camping is a powerful ministry. And so we support Maranatha. Um, and so Chris Cheek, along with his wife um, and son, come on up, Chris, they want to share with us. I want Chris to share with us what God's doing through Maranatha. Appreciate it, Pastor. So my name is Chris. It's the Chris Squared Show. It's good to be here. Um, so I've been the director at Maranatha Bible Camp for five years, and so many of you have had a lot of friends and family connected with Maranatha. You do currently. And I see so many faces that have really helped keep Maranatha going for all these years. So just thank you on behalf of the Maranatha staff for all of your partnership over the years. I just wanted to give out a free t-shirt, a camp t-shirt. Who doesn't want a camp t-shirt, right? Uh, to someone that can tell me, what does Maranatha mean? Raise your hand if you think you know what Maranatha means. Some people think it's an Indian word. No, not an Indian word. No, 
Then the last service, oh wait, yes, ma'am. She says, does it mean bringing kids to God? That is close enough. It means Jesus, Jesus is coming back. Absolutely. Here's a camp t-shirt for you. So Maranatha actually means Jesus is coming again. And we want more kids, right, and families, men, women, and children to understand that message of Jesus. I just wrote down a couple of things I wanted to share with you. Like, what is God doing at Maranatha? Just some highlights, some statistics. Check this out. So we're expecting some similar results this summer, God willing. But last summer, 2,500 or so men, women, and children, teenagers, were at Maranatha. Now, 2,500 is about the size of a a good-sized town in Nebraska, right? Well, that happens in one summer at Maranatha. And we had 2,500 people get introduced to Jesus, trained in God's word, right, just like what's happening here, and then sent out to represent Christ to the world. So we're carrying on the same mission as Mitchell Berean, and it's super special. Uh, Every summer, we look for 100, that's 100, high school, college-age students to join us on mission at Maranatha in this endeavor. And so if you know a high school, like starting at age 14 through 20s, that doesn't know what to do with their life, does anybody know someone like that? Maybe you're my age and you're like, I'm still looking for what to do with my life. We would love your help for the summer. You can come for a couple weeks, you can come for 12 weeks and help us in the ministry at Maranatha. We went through 12,000 milkshakes. I think uh, John and Krista, uh, you helped us with that uh, a couple summers ago. 12,000 milkshakes in our sweet shop. Uh, some of you love to camp out in our sweet shop. Thank you. 91 first time decisions for Christ last summer. 91. That we know of, right? Only God knows what's going on in people's hearts. But these are men, women, teenagers, families, children that just raised their hand or maybe they stood up and said, hey, I want to follow Jesus. And then we send them home, most of them with local churches like this that disciple these young people. So camp really introduces people to Jesus. The church really disciples uh, young people that come to know Christ. There were 144 families that we were able to help financially get to camp. And like this church, you want to see people experience ministry or opportunities like that. And sometimes people can't afford it. So camp for years and years has had a foundation that people give to. This church has given to it. So people that couldn't afford to come to camp in Nebraska can come to camp. So just let us know if there's a need, of someone that you'd like to get to camp, even entire family units have come to camp as a result of our scholarship fund. 815, last summer, 815 first-time campers. And just like a local church, how do you know it's growing? If there's newcomers coming. How do you know if a church is dying or a ministry is dying? Newcomers aren't coming anymore, right? So we're excited that the camp's been around for 83 years and there's still people and generations coming. And you're a part of that history just awesome. Last thing, fun fact, 1,500 pounds of hamburger served every couple of weeks. So we're supporting the ministry of the ag and and, and beef industry in Nebraska at Maranatha. We haven't gone vegan yet. We haven't gone vegan, although we'll accept vegan, absolutely. Um, But just thank you so much for your partnership with us. A couple events coming up right around the corner is we have a father-child retreat in April, 
And then we have a young adult retreat for 18 to about 30 years old uh, for young adult singles at Maranatha coming up this spring. Uh, just check out maranatha.org. And again, thank you for your partnership. Awesome. Thank you, Chris. Well, it's fun to introduce you to some of these missionaries. Some of you may have known these guys for years, and some of you, um, it's your first time to find out who they are and, and that we're supporting them. But I wanted you to know it's so important for us as a church to understand that we're continuing the mission of Jesus, that Jesus called his first followers to begin a movement, to begin something powerful that would reach around the globe, and we are a part of that today. In fact, we must be a part of that. It's essential that we're a part of it because Jesus commanded us to do so. And so we're continuing to work to see God uh, move. The early church fueled mission. They fueled it in a couple of ways. They would send individuals out of their churches to go on mission, to go reach Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. They sent they would fuel them and fund them. They would send uh, support to them, to those missionaries, right? They would pray faithfully for them as they sent them out. The early church was involved in mission, and <clears throat> we must be as well. During this series, the next four weeks, I'm going to challenge you to support our missionaries, to be connected to them. Each one of you, I believe, we as a church have a responsibility, but as a church, we're made up of individuals. And so I think each one of us has a responsibility in this arena and has an opportunity to be connected to our missionaries and to support what they're doing. And so I'm going to call you to invest in missions. And there's two ways that I'm going to call you to invest. You're either going to go, and my prayer is that God's going to raise up some more missionaries from this church. As I said, I think many of our missionaries came out of this church that we support, which is phenomenal, needs to continue to happen. My prayer is that God's going to touch some of your hearts and you're going to feel compelled and called to move in that direction. Secondly, if we don't go, then we need to send. We need to be a part of sending. And sending, let me get real specific, means this, that I believe that as followers of Jesus, our first commitment when it comes to our time, our talent, and our resources, our first commitment needs to be our local church. Our local church is to be reaching our Jerusalem. And can I tell you that Mitchell Brian is working to reach our Jerusalem, and this church has been doing that from the moment it began. This church has always been around about reaching my neighbor, reaching the person next to me, serving the world around me, and pulling them and inviting them into a relationship with Jesus. And so that's what this church is about. And so I believe it's important that you are supporting this work. And the scripture talks about, um, when it comes to finances, I'm going to talk about money here for a minute. Don't get twitchy on me, all right? We don't talk about money a lot here. You probably won't hear me talk about this again for the rest of the year, but, but I need to talk to you about it. I need to, uh, I need to teach you a little bit in this arena and challenge you a little bit because there's an opportunity here for you to be involved in the work of God and to invest your finances and your time and your talents into the work of God. That's important. And so I want to teach you in that arena. So we don't do it a lot, but I'm going to do it today. So here's the thing. The Bible in the Old Testament talks about giving. And when it comes to finances, God taught the nation of Israel to give a tithe. And uh, some people go, well, I tithe 3% or I tithe, you know, 2%. Well, tithing, the word tithe actually means 10%. So you can't tithe 3%, right? 
See what I'm saying? Just a little, just a little pastor stuff. But, but here's the deal. Um, but you can give, right? And I want to encourage you to consider tithing. It is a biblical principle. We see in the Old Testament it was presented as a command. In the New Testament, Jesus does reinforce the tithe. He doesn't command it necessarily, though it's kind of an assumption that the people of God would be committing 10% of their resources to God's work. This was an expectation in the Old Testament. I believe it continues in the New Testament. However, in the New Testament, it talks about giving. The Bible says things like this, that you should give with a cheerful heart, right? Uh, give um, uh, joyfully. This is an act of worship that you get to be a part of. It should be something that brings joy to your heart, not bitterness and anger, right? If you're disgruntled as you put your check in the offering, then Jesus said, just keep it. <laughs> keep it. Like, it's not worth it. It's not really serving the purpose that it's meant to serve. Because the truth is, God doesn't need our money, but we get an opportunity to invest our money in what God's doing. And so that's the New Testament. You know, the New Testament's all about things like this. Uh, it says things like this. You don't have to just give a tithe. You can give whatever you want. If you want to give more than that, you're free to. Uh, because the New Testament talks about a lot about, hey, listen, you've been set apart to do good works, and you can do as much good as you want to in the world. And, man, I've heard people talk about giving reverse tithing, where their goal in life, and they achieved it, some of them, uh, their goal in life was to reach a point where they could give 90% of their income and live on 10 now, let me tell you, I don't, that kind of uh, makes my, you know, that's a mind blow situation for me. I don't get that, but, but there are people doing it and moving in that direction. They love giving, they love investing in God's work. So I'm just trying to give you a picture of what it can look like. But I want to challenge you to consider giving a tithe to your local church. And here's the thing, our, uh, our budget for this church runs around $55,000 a month. And you might go, man, that's a lot. And, and it is a lot. <laughs> There's a lot of pressure potentially on those that lead this church. That's a big commitment. But here's the truth of it. This church has grown and developed, and God has been faithful through his people to supply and meet that need. And, and actually, um, though last year we kind of came down to the end of the year, we needed some makeup, and that happened. You guys were generous and got us caught up. But my thing is this, that really historically in churches, it's about 20% of the people that really give uh, on a percentage basis consistently. In other words, they're not missing. They're making sure their tithe is going in, and they are tithing, and they're really committed to it. What I want to encourage those of you that are part of that 20%, God bless you, you know, you've grown to that point where you're mature in that area and you can, you can give generously. But there's a lot of us that aren't there yet, you know, historically, kind of traditionally in the church. And so I just want to challenge you to consider doing something like that, giving consistently, whether or not it's 10%, but, but setting aside a percentage. Percentage giving means that you've predetermined. You're not just tipping, right? You're not just putting in the plate whatever you got in your pocket, which is fine. I'm not disparaging that. But there's more that God has for you in that arena. And so I want to encourage you in that, that we would step up and give. This church supports um, 22 different mission organizations. We give about $5,000 a month to missions. And so that kind of support and commitment from our church is needed in order to fuel the work of God. Some of you might be getting a tax return coming up here uh, shortly. Maybe not. Some of us will have to pay, uh, which is a bummer, but, but some of us will get a tax return. Listen, can I just ask you to consider investing in the work uh, of the church, in God's work, either in missions or in um, the work of the local church? I believe, 
and Mary and I have done this, that we have given 10% of our giving from the time that we uh, were married. We, put, we set aside 10%. I was raised that way, so was she. We have uh, Christian parents who taught us that way. And then we give above and beyond that to missions. And so I want to encourage you that, to consider that. That really, I think, giving a tithe to your local church and then, and then considering a percentage above that that you would give to missions is, is the right thing to do. You may not be there yet, but I want to teach you and encourage you and challenge you to move in that direction. Listen, God's at work in the world, and we have been commissioned by Jesus to spread the gospel. We need to ensure that we're supporting that movement, that we're fueling and funding it, right? And so let me uh, say a prayer for us as we get started. God, thank you so much for uh, your word. Thank you for passing down to us the Holy Scriptures, the inspired Word of God, that we can know today with confidence what you want us to do. We can understand your direction for our lives. We can understand how to be right with you, how to put our trust in you. Father, I pray that you'd speak to us from your Word today. Impress upon our hearts the things we need to hear so we can continue to grow in our walk with you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus, after he commissioned his uh, followers in Acts 1.8, he told them to wait. Wait upon the power that would come when the Holy Spirit would come upon them. He went back to heaven uh, in, in what's called the ascension. Jesus went back to heaven. He left this earth and disappeared into the clouds to return to the Father, to return to uh, his heavenly existence. He sits at the right hand of the Father with full power and authority, ruling and reigning from on high. And he has uh, instructed his disciples, he said, listen, wait, and the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, and you're going to receive power. And so finally, as they waited in the upper room, about 120 of them, terrified of the Romans, terrified of the Jewish leaders, Finally, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came with power. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 reads this way if you want to follow along in your Bible. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like a roaring of a mighty windstorm. It filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each one of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. So you have 120 followers of Jesus waiting in the upper room. And all of a sudden, the sound of a roaring wind, sound of a tornado fills the room, shakes the building. We know because as we read on in the story that Every, it seems like everyone in Jerusalem heard this wind, heard this rushing wind, the sound of a tornado in this building, and they came rushing in to see what was going on. So all of a sudden, the streets filled with thousands of people. They crowd around, want to know what's going on. And these followers of Jesus, who've been filled with the Holy Spirit, they emerge out of this room empowered. They were terrified, hiding out. Now they step out into a crowd of thousands of people. And Peter, the apostle, the one who had denied Christ three times before his crucifixion. Peter, who had run in fear, scared to stand up for Jesus. Peter, the one who Jesus had said, Peter, do you love me? Peter said, yes, Lord, I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Three times that happened. That Peter stepped into a moment. The Holy Spirit had done something. God was doing something powerful. Power had come on him, and he stepped up, and he preached a message about Jesus, the Messiah. And he said, people of Jerusalem, residents of Jerusalem, you mistook Jesus, the Messiah. You thought he was not 
from God. And so you killed him. But he rose from the dead three days later, proving he had power over sin and death. He is the Messiah. And by putting your faith in him, you can be saved. He preached a powerful message and people came to know Jesus. The Bible says that there was about 3,000 that trusted in Christ that day. And that's probably just men. So there's probably a lot more that came to Christ and became a part of this movement of God. The power that was present there, that power provided a platform. It provided a platform for Peter to share. You know, Peter and John were walking up to the temple on a Sabbath to worship in the morning for morning prayers. And there was a man there who was begging. He'd been lame from birth. And so he lay there at the gate they call beautiful, begging and asking for money. And Peter and John walked up and they stopped in front of him. And they said, hey, look at us. And the man looked at them expecting some money. And they said, listen, we don't have money. But here's what I want you to do. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, stand up and walk. Now this man who had been lame from birth had never walked. But he was compelled by Peter's words. And he began to stand up, to try to stand up. And as he did, it's hard to imagine this. As he did, his legs gained strength. His joints, his bones, his muscles were healed. And in a matter of seconds, he stood next to Peter and John, fully healed. Now this blew the minds of the people that were in the temple that day. You gotta understand, this is the hub of the city. And there's people there for worship. And so all of a sudden, this, this uh, miracle occurs. And they're like, what is going on? And so people ran in. It created a stir. This guy was scared. <laughs> He'd just been healed. He's hanging on to Peter and John. There's a ruckus going on in the room. And people are going, what just happened? And once again, Peter has a platform because of the power of God that's moving to share with these folks in Jerusalem. Now, there were people in Jerusalem from all over the world. They were living in Jerusalem. They were from every tribe, tongue, and nation. People from all over with different language backgrounds, right? And so Peter shared the gospel with them. They understood who Jesus was, that he was the Messiah. This platform that Peter had and the early church had, this platform led to multiplication. The, as the book of Acts goes on in chapter 5, um, uh, verse 12, it says this way, the apostles were performing many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers were meeting regularly at the temple, in the temple area known as Solomon's Colonnade. But no one else dared to join them, even though all the people had high regard for them. Yet more and more people believed and were brought to the Lord. Crowds of both men and women. As a result of the apostles' work, sick people were brought out into the streets on beds and mats so that Peter's shadow might fall across some of them as he went by. Crowds came from the villages around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those possessed by evil spirits, and they were all healed. It's a powerful time in this early church. God is on the move. The Holy Spirit is moving through his people. And people are coming to know Jesus as Savior. They're turning to him. And this group that started off as 120 and grew very quickly to several thousand is now expanding out. And it's, it's blowing up. And people are coming to know Jesus and trusting in him. And this growth that they're experiencing in the city of Jerusalem resulted in persecution. It resulted in persecution. Acts chapter 5 verse 17 goes on to say this. The high priests and his officials who were Sadducees were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But an angel of the Lord came at night, 
opened the gates of the jail and brought them out. Then he told them, go to the temple and give the people this message of life. This movement that is growing so quickly, it's uncontainable. It is unstoppable. And it is expanding and producing fruit in the, in the city of Jerusalem. You know, it's interesting. This church started with a small group of people. And they began to pray that God would move in this region. And they began to reach out to people, try to reach their neighbor. And as they prayed and reached their neighbors, over the years, this church exploded in growth to the point that we are called the Miracle in Mitchell. That's how people know of this church around the Berean Fellowship, because God has moved here in a powerful way. People have come to know Jesus over the years. They're continuing to come to know Jesus. We just baptized some folks uh, last week who are new to following Jesus. They want to grow in him. And so God's moving and continues to move here. It's amazing to see this work continue. My question for you, as we look at this early church, explode and expand. Come on the scene because the power of the Holy Spirit, because the command of Jesus How will the mission movement continue in our time? How will this mission movement that Jesus started continue in our time? Since the early church sent missionaries out on mission, the church, Big C, the big church, Universal, has continued to send missionaries out throughout the last 2,000 years. I want to challenge us today and urge us that we need to continue to reach our world because we are only ever one generation away from extinction. This movement of Jesus, which, by the way, I know will not fail because Jesus said his church would not fail. The gates of hell would not prevail against it. But here's the truth. If we don't reach the next generation, if we don't reach our neighbor, if we don't reach the next group of people, then this thing can end. It can come to an end. And so there's an urgency that we need to experience when it comes to living on mission. The first series that I did, our fall campaign when I first started here, was called Be the Message. And our number one strategy for reaching the world around us, for reaching this region, is that each one of us would live out the gospel in our daily lives. That as we go out into the world around us, the areas where we work, where we live, where we play, that we would be the message. That people would be able to see Jesus through our lives. That we would be willing to share with people the message of salvation as we have opportunity. And so we live in such a way that others can see that we belong to God that our lives reflect him. There's other ways, though, in which as a church, we're ministering to our region. We minister to children. We're working to reach children. Each Sunday, we have three hours of ministry that happens, and then one hour on Saturday nights where we pour into the lives of children in our region. We have a week of VBS, the first week of June, where we invite the community to come in, and we pour into the hearts and minds of children. We have a youth ministry here. We're, We're ministering to junior high, high school, and even college students. And I'm not trying to embarrass him, but I have told Ben this, that we have. Ben is probably the best youth pastor that I've ever seen or been around in my life. That deserves, yeah, it's true. It's true. Listen, uh, I've been around a lot. I was a youth pastor, and Ben is way better than I was. (laughs) But here's the truth. He loves our kids. He's reaching them. He's leading our, our students to reach their friends. And it's, there's a movement going on in our youth ministry. It's powerful, and we praise God for it. We're reaching out to women. We have a women's retreat coming up. You should sign up, ladies, and bring somebody with you. 
that doesn't know Jesus. Bring somebody that needs some encouragement and support. Listen, we're doing, we're, we're ministering and reaching out to women. We're, we're ministering to men in our church. We have men's groups. We have a men's breakfast that meets once a month. We're starting a building maintenance team. And the real reason for that is to get men together so we can get to know each other, right? And so we come to breakfast and we serve by fixing up the church, doing small jobs. And in the process, we build each other up and encourage each other. We're ministering to families through our life group ministry. We have a marriage retreat coming up. We're pouring into the lives of, of marriages. Listen, as a church, we're on mission to reach our Jerusalem. And we are convicted and convinced that we need to continue to do that. And we're calling you to be a part of that, to engage with us, to reach this community. 19, uh, 1776, this country was founded. In 1812, this country sent out its first group of international missionaries. They left from the East Coast, Massachusetts. They were led by a man named Adoniram Judson, and he left with a group of missionaries. They went to India, and they began to try to reach the Hindu people for Jesus. They were met a great deal of opposition. They worked for about seven years before they saw anyone come to Christ, and yet he gave his life to ministering in that country. He translated the Bible into, Burme into Burmese, the language of Burma. He uh, had a significant impact there. He suffered greatly, spent time in prison, but he gave his life to the mission of Jesus. In 2010, the United States sent out 127,000 of the world's 400,000 missionaries abroad. There's something special about this country. Listen, I'm patriotic. I was born here. I'm an American. I love America, right? I do. And, but here's the truth. I love America in part because we have been a powerful nation when it comes to sending missionaries and reaching the world. There's something powerful that happens when Americans go somewhere, when followers of Jesus who are raised in this free culture, who understand what freedom looks like, and we've, we've had a taste of it. Not only do we know what it's like, but we expect it. <laughs> and we go other places in the name of Jesus and we spread the gospel fearlessly right? We just go in and we, we present it and we call people to follow Jesus and they do. And it's amazing to me to watch what this country's done. It scares me a little bit, concerns me a little bit that there's a movement in our country away from uh, proclamation missions, you know, presenting the gospel and trying to win people over to Jesus. There's a concern that that's, that's uh, you know, ruining or, or stepping on other cultures and other belief systems and all that. And of course, to that I say, yeah, it is, but that's okay because we're called to reach people to follow Jesus. We're called to ask them to come out of their old life into a new life, right, and commit to him. That's what it's looked like from the very beginning. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said, listen, I came to bring a sword. I'm going to divide people because I'm calling you to something powerful, and it takes a commitment to get there. It's not just staying a part of the life you've had and adding Jesus to your belief system. No. It's giving up all of that and moving into a new life and a new way and believing Jesus is the only way. And so I want to ensure that as a church, we continue to fuel the missions movement, that we continue to raise up missionaries from this church. And I believe God's going to continue to do that. And I'm thankful for what he's done here. And I just want to uh, urge us and lead us to continue to be a part of reaching our world. There's a couple of other missionaries I want to introduce you to. David and Crystal Hughes are here. They serve with Campus Ventures, 
and I'm going to have Dave come up and share what God's doing in that arena. They serve in primarily Wyoming and then South Dakota uh, at campuses. And so Dave, share with us about Campus Ventures and all that God's doing through you. Thank you for having us this morning. It's been really encouraging. Uh, This morning, one of the men's groups that he was talking about prayed over us this morning. So it's been a great morning, uh, really encouraging. Uh, Crystal and I serve with Campus Ventures, but we want to celebrate with you guys and praise with you today. This is a picture of our family, but uh, we are celebrating our 20th year as missionaries with Campus Ventures. And, and the reason, thank you. The reason I want to celebrate, because there's people here that individually have supported us, but the church in itself, Mitchell Berean sent us. We were a part of this church, and, and uh, you guys sent us. You guys make it possible for us to be there. But we serve with Campus Ventures. Uh, if, if you know of a college student or have been a college student or know the importance of this transition in life, 85, the statistics now, 85% of students that enter college, when they leave, they've left their faith. Uh, 1.1 million international students are on American universities and co- campuses right now, colleges and universities. So if we can't go to the world, God's bringing them to our campuses. And in most cities, there's more people per acre on a college campus than anywhere else in that city. What's the best place and best time to reach somebody is there. And so that's why we serve with Campus Ventures and God has drawn us there. We're a discipleship-based ministry. We wanna make disciples who make disciples. This is a lifestyle, not, not just a fun campus time. We're at Black Hills State University in beautiful Spearfish, South Dakota. And uh, we've served there for the last 12 years and we started here at Western Nebraska Community College, uh, like I said, 20 years. The campuses we're at currently Northwest College in Powell, Wyoming, Casper College, we're at the University of Wyoming, South Dakota School of Mines and Technology, and Black Hills State. We're praying about Shadron, we're praying about Billings, we're praying about Fort Collins. Uh, we want to continue to expand, but we don't want to leave campuses without staff, so we take it wherever God opens the doors. Uh, like Henry Blackaby said, we see where God's at work, and we join him there. Uh, this is one of our large group meetings. One of the things we do is we, we bring all the campuses together and have retreats for them. We bring in different speakers just so they can continue to learn and grow and make connections with people. Uh, So this was one of our retreats. Uh, One of our weekly meetings, we have a weekly large group meeting where students come uh, just from our campus and then we try to encourage them to get into uh, smaller groups and some Bible studies and some discipleship. We have a staff of six at Black Hills State and we want to pour in one-on-one with these students and we want to pour into their lives we have them into our house Uh, so over the last 12 years we've probably had I don't know thousands of people hundreds of people I'll say hundreds we'll make it uh, make it good but uh, again I want to thank you because we wouldn't be with Campus Ventures for 20 years if it wasn't for you guys and wasn't for the individual support and the support uh, of the church you guys have made it possible and we're grateful for that so thank you Ryan and Jenny Dawson are another one of our missionary families, and uh, I'd ask Ryan to come up, or their family's going to come up this time. Awesome. Um, these guys serve in the area of aviation ministry. Um, I'm going to tell you, I've got a sister-in-law that served in Papua New Guinea for, uh, I think, close to 20 years. And uh, so I know in third world countries, having aviation support is essential to minis- uh, missionary success. For them to be able to get supplies, for them to be able to fuel their work, stay connected, um, without good roads, without good transportation, with, which many of 
the world's uh, countries do not have, aviation becomes essential. And so these guys, God's raised them up to serve in that arena. So share with us all that God's doing. You bet. Thank you, guys. It's, it's an honor to be here again today. And, um, yeah, this is my wife, Jenny, Ashton, Aria, Beckham, and Brendy. Uh, so it's a family venture for sure. <laughs> um, you know, it's, this church is so special to us. Pastor Giles married us, um, and we did our marriage counseling here with uh, Dean and Diane. And so it was, man, we just have such a, an awesome history. Every time we come back, it's so cool to connect with all you guys again. Uh, really thank you for, for your support, your prayerful support, your financial support. We really appreciate you guys. Um, you know, Joshua 3 came to mind. I was just praying, Lord, you know, what would you have me share today? And, and the passage of Joshua 3 just came to mind. And uh, if you remember, Moses had just died. And God told Joshua that he was going to exalt him up to the Israelites. He was going to raise him up. And he was going to do that by performing a miracle because they needed to cross the Jordan. And um, God told Joshua to have the priests who are carrying the Ark of the Covenant to take up the Ark and to start walking towards the Jordan. And Scripture's clear that the Jordan was at flood stages at that time. So you can, and especially these guys are coming 40 years off the desert. So there's no lifeguards among them. They don't like water probably. You know, there's no good swimmers in this group. And yet God tells the priest, take up that Ark and to tell them to start walking into this river that was at flood stages. And I don't think Joshua's probably not a, you know, people don't look at it as a, as a faith passage, really. But, um, you know, to those guys carrying the ark, have you ever w- wondered what was going through their mind? You know, like, good grief, Joshua, why are you having us do this? You know, why can't we just dip our stick, you know, th- throw a rock in there? You know, God can do anything. Why is he having us get our feet wet? We don't, you know, this is a mighty river here. And yet scripture is clear that the, the Jordan did not part until all those guys got their feet wet. And it just shows to me that God is honored by faith. And a lot of times walking by faith, we don't know what's coming next. Uh, We don't know what's coming next all the time. You guys have been uh, supporting us since 2011. And we've been trying to get to Venezuela. And Venezuela's been in the news a lot, so I won't bore you a ton. But uh, it's not a good place. It's not a stable place. And uh, we just felt like the Lord closed Venezuela, are going there to try to open up a flight program in uh, August of 2019. And so uh, we just really just, again, went before the Lord and said, God, we're here with our feet wet. How can you use us? Where, where would you like to send us? And so we, we are now partnering with a mission organization called South America Mission. And we'll be uh, flying airplanes in Peru. Uh, the, the local church there is working with about 45 different um, indigenous groups into the jungles and about 60 percent of the flying is the local church reaching into the indigenous community and so um, our goal is to be there in june and there's just been a lot of transition a lot of things happening i'm leaving here for six weeks of flight training in north carolina jenny's going to stay at home with the kids Uh, so prayer as uh, they keep uh, (laughs) never a dull moment Um, so just pray for her as i'll be gone but, uh, yeah, we, our goal is, again, to be in, in Peru by June, and we just, we just really cover your prayers as we uh, try to make that happen. We'd love to connect with you in the back and just, yeah, answer any questions we can. Thank you so much. Awesome. 
Hey, if you guys, those of you, all of our missionaries that were shared today, would you guys come up here? And any elders that are here, we want to pray over our missionaries um, as they do represent us. They represent Jesus. They're serving faithfully. As everyone's coming up, let me give you two things in closing. One is I want you to do two things as you leave here, a, a call to action. There's two things I'm going to challenge you to do. One is to connect connect with our missionaries. We have information back here. These guys are going to stick around a little bit and be able to talk. And so connect with them, get to know them. I want it to be your goal to be the number one supporter for one of our missionaries. We got a lot coming over this month, but get on their prayer chain, uh, connect with them on Facebook, uh, let them know that you know who they are and you're praying for them and you're supporting them. They should know your name. All right, that's what I'm talking about. Build a relationship. The second thing is to support. And support means what I'm really specifically talking about is to determine a percentage that you can give, okay? Do this. It'll, you'll grow in it. It'll challenge you a little bit, but you'll grow in it. Percentage giving that you can do consistently and faithfully that's going to ensure that these guys are fueled and funded in what they're doing and that we as a church are as well, all right? So um, let's see. Randy, would you pray for our missionaries? Father, what a awesome privilege it is to be here with your servants that are out there in the field and at home and abroad. Lord, we know our first mission field is right outside our front door. And it goes from there across the whole world. We'd ask your blessing upon those that are here with us today and those that aren't. Father, if you would just give them the strength, lift them up, give them your heart and your eyes for the world that they might bring the gospel. They might reach those that are hurting, whatever the circumstances are, have never heard you, Lord. Father, we thank you so much for this church and our ability to help spread that gospel across the world as well as at home. Lord, just bless each one in your precious name. Amen.